Welcome to Anchor Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more education, visit www.anchorchurchcsra.com. is the title for today's sermon, so join me in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. Man, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and so let's get busy really quick. Let's start out with saying this. Unity is not uniformity. Everybody say that with me. Unity is not uniformity. One more time. Unity is not uniformity. We think that unity is uniformity sometimes. We say, well, when we have unity as a church, that means we got to all agree, right, Jonathan? We got to all believe the same things. We got to, we got to, um, you know, have the same opinions, right, Joe? You know, we got to, I mean, we got to see eye to eye on everything, right? And it's like, no, that's, that's not it at all. There is beauty in unity together, but then diversity in approach, diversity in backgrounds, experiences, giftings, and things like that. In fact, what we're going to see is that the more that the body functions in its different parts and the diversity, think about your body and all the different parts of your body functioning in the way, you know, the kidneys aren't trying to do what the heart does. The heart's not trying to do what the toes do. The ear's not trying to do what the mouth does, all right? And so we have to celebrate this diversity in the church, but not lose our unity. This is one of those things in life that seem like they're opposites, but they're not. And that in life, we that have to have this beautiful, we'll even use the word tension, but not in a negative way, but, but there's an appropriate balance, a, a, a balancing tension. I actually love the word harmony because I'm a musician, and so I love uh, just thinking of these as harmony, unity and diversity. And so let's just... There's just a few callings that we need to look at this morning in Ephesians 4 as the church, because that's what we're talking about, the church alive in Christ. Who are we called to be? Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, Paul set up a framework for us, friends, where he said, here's what God has given you, all the spiritual blessings, right? Ephesians 1, here's what God's given you. Here's the, remember the gift basket that, that we talked about? Ephesians 2, here's the salvation that God has brought you. He's made you, do you remember that A word? He, he made you alive, right? But God made you alive in Christ. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about how God has busted down and broken down every dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, the only real two biblical races that we have, Jews and non-Jews. And then from that emerged this third race, as it were, of Christ followers, that no matter what your skin looks like or what country you come from, that we are one in Christ, which is such an important message for our culture today because the only unity we can really have is a unity in the gospel. The unity everybody's searching for. What's wrong with the world? Why can't we all get along? That only exists in a biblical framework and we will not find that hope outside of the gospel. And then Ephesians 3, remember, be strengthened in the inner being. Paul prays for the church. He had a lot of prayers. We did ministry mindsets. We did uh, things that we can focus on to, to, to improve our ministry. And then we received strength in our souls. And Paul said things like this, hey, let your love for Christ grow deeper and deeper and realize on a deeper level how much you love him. 
and let that change you. And then remember our, our week of prayer this week that's continuing on this next week. So be on the lookout for some Facebook posts and some emails as we continue on. Uh, for some reason, ours didn't fire yesterday. We had it scheduled. So just hold on. We'll, we'll, we'll just uh, have a double dose for you. <laughs> we can just pray for two things instead of just one. But as we've been thinking about this past week, remember this past week, one of the days was the big ask. And we talked about how we can approach God and ask for great and mighty things that we can come to his presence and say, God, this is only gonna happen if you come through. Like, this isn't one of those safe prayers that like might work out anyway that we could just explain with another thing. Like, well, you know, maybe it just worked out. Maybe it was God, we really don't know. No, this thing I'm asking for, like if God doesn't move, like this, like man says this is impossible, but God says, hey, with man that's impossible, but with me, anything is possible. Those are the words of Christ. And so, a few callings this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first one is this. We are called to live worthy. Everybody say worthy. Worthy. Hey, we, we just sang that in a song, didn't we? Worthy. Jesus is worthy. He died for us. If you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, then he calls you to live a calling worthy of this call while focused on unity. So, one more time, we are called to live worthy of our call while focused on unity. I'll give you a second to write that down. And if you'll join me in Ephesians 4, we're going to get started in verse 1 here. I'm going to open my Bible myself. Ephesians 4, verse 1, says this. Therefore, anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, just know there's something really important coming after it. So, therefore, I, and here we go, the prisoner in the Lord. You remember that last time Paul used that prisoner language, and we talked about that a little bit, how he says, hey, I may be writing this letter to the Ephesian church from prison, but make no mistake, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Nobody has me in this jail cell but the will of God. And the safest place to be, friends, not, not safest according to the world, but the safest, most, most peaceful place to be in your life is in right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And even if that means we're going through a tough season, even if that means that there's uh, sometimes we're, we're, we're battling things like loneliness and depression and anxiety and we, you know, this COVID mess that we just came through and all of that. And just the thing that life brings, we lose loved ones. We're discouraged. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to follow Jesus. And so he starts attacking us. And then, and then our closest friends and family, we're, we're, we're seeing some discord and we just experience these trials. But in the midst of that, the best place to be is right smack dab in the middle of God's will. And sometimes God has you in those seasons. In fact, in those seasons, it causes you to be more and more desperate for God. And he redeems those seasons in so many different ways. But Paul is saying, so when he used the word prisoner, that's what that should cause. We, we go, okay, Paul has a mindset of saying, I'm not a prisoner to Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ. He says, therefore, I, prisoner in the Lord, I urge you. So he's passionately pleading with the church. And this is my, this is my heart too. I've, I, I want to channel my inner Paul this morning and, and, and just plead with all of us here. I urge you to what? To walk worthy of the calling you have received. That's a big ask. I know it's a tall order, church, for us to walk worthy. Because who's ultimately worthy? It's the easiest Sunday school answer. Come on. Jesus, he's worthy, 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 worthy is the lamb who's slain. So how could I measure up to Christ? Well, we never can in and of ourselves. but the Bible says some amazing things like this, that if you are in Christ, you have received his righteousness. This is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. That means a righteousness that you didn't go out and earn. Jesus said, if you want to 
be in the kingdom of heaven, you got to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. People went, how can I do that? That's impossible. They're like the best guys around at doing what God says, right? Or so they thought. And what Jesus was saying was, no, you need a righteousness outside of yourself. And what our world today and what we try to do, we all gravitate towards it, but we, we try to perform to that level. And it doesn't mean that we don't aim for the goal, right? Basketball, uh, the Warriors just won the championship, right? They didn't get there by not trying to make the ball in the hoop, in the basket, right? They aimed for it. They may have only shot about half and half. They, they only made half their shots, which is, which is amazing for basketball, to make 50% of your shots. They do not aim for the basket any less just because they know they will never shoot 100%. And the same is true. When we walk worthy, we're aiming for 100%. Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter. Remember this verse? Be holy, for I am holy. This is, he's quoting the Old Testament and what Yahweh said to his covenant people. God says, be holy. Hey, you see the way I am? Ephesians 5, we're gonna get here. Therefore, be imitators of Christ. Well, Christ was holy. Christ was worthy. So we're gonna walk worthy of the calling you have received. So what's this look like, Paul? Well, look at verse two. Look at verse two. two says, with all humility gentleness, so we have a bunch of words here, you can just jot them down as you see them, because we're going to go through each of them very briefly, humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, so let's just cover these four real quick, humility, this is an accurate understanding of, um, you know, an accurate understanding of God's work is an attack to the ego, you know what I mean, whenever we correctly understand who God is and who we are, there has to come this point in our life where we go, hey, I'm not God, I'm not in control. And I know that sounds maybe very, if you've been walking with the Lord for a little while or maybe not, you, it sounds very kind of like one of those duh things. It's like, yeah, I know I'm not God. But sometimes we're not really convinced because we try to be in control like God is in control. We try to have sovereignty over our lives. We try to, and it, again, this is just that prone to wander that we sing about in the hymns. You know, we're just prone towards that. We have to fight that. We have to battle that. And so humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less often, and it's also thinking more highly of God than of you. So the higher and higher we think of God, and the more we put ourselves in the right place, which is below God, that's going to generate a humility. Humility says, I don't know everything. (laughs) There's something I can learn from Garrett. There's something I can learn from Lucas. There's something I can learn from Zane. There's something I can learn from Susan. There's something, I mean, I'm just looking at all of you, and I'm thinking, like, God has brought us together this day so that we can benefit one another, so that we can help one another, we can encourage one another. We are all equally as indispensable in the kingdom of God. Just because I'm up on a platform doesn't make me any more valuable than you are to the kingdom of God. Please hear me say that. I have a unique role and responsibility here at Anchor as the lead pastor. It doesn't make me more important than you. It doesn't at all. And please know that I don't think that. I stand to benefit and glean God's wisdom in every single one of you that are spirit-filled and that walk alongside him. And I hope to return the favor as well. And as we walk together in this kingdom work, then the church will be strengthened. And where we get in trouble is where we're we're just relying on one Moses type to fulfill that for everybody. What would it look like if if we all were in the word, if we all were spirit-filled, And if we all walk with Jesus, worthy of our calling, with all humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, 
oh man, what a healthy church that would create. And so that's the kind of church we are, we, we are uh, building here now in the power of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is building that church, but he uses his people to do so. And so you're a part of that. All right, so humility, gentleness, that's very um, plain. We are to be gentle with one another in the church. This does not mean that there is a complete absence of conflict. And we get in trouble sometimes thinking that if we're going to have unity, that there cannot ever be any disagreement within the body. And let me make this very clear. There can be disagreement within the body, but there cannot be discord. There cannot be, let me use another word that I want to, that more precisely uh, distinguishes the two, division. There can be disagreement, but there cannot be division in the body. Division, just the etymology of the word, more than one vision. More than one, so division tears the body apart, but disagreement can strengthen the body. Tension and conflict, guided and governed by the Holy Spirit, can bring about a healthier and healthier church. And so, but we got to be gentle with one another while we work through that. Galatians 6 says, bear with one another, gently restoring one another, right? When there's those moments, so we're gentle about it. But what else? Patience. Whoever said that crazy thing about never ask God for patience? It's like my least favorite quote of all time. Never ask God for patience because he'll find a way to test it. And I think somebody meant that kind of, kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of funny, but I've heard Christians a lot say that. They'll all say, you know, I was just praying the other day, God give me patience. Well, no, 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 don't, don't pray for patience. I don't know about you, but I need to pray for patience. <laughs> I, need, I need daily prayer for patience. And patience looks like this in the church, slow to anger. God is slow to anger, right? It's not that you never get angry. It's that Ephesians 4 later on says, in your anger, do not, do not sin. You, you can be angry sometimes. That's okay. Anger is not a sin. There's righteous anger. There's unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger leads to division, leads to tearing one another down and apart, and it's terrible for the body. But patience, slow to anger, and then bearing with one another. This is that Bible word, steadfast. You heard of that one? God is steadfast. He's long-suffering. It means he doesn't give up on you. And you know what a family does? And you've seen this in your own families too. You can have tough times. You can have tests against that unity, but family doesn't give up on family. And we can work it out together. And churches that really embrace that, churches that really embrace working through this together in love, those are the churches that make it. And those are the churches that are effective for the kingdom of God. And we want Anchor Church to be that kind of church. Verse 3, here we go. Making every effort. So with humility, gentleness, patience, and love, we're making every effort to do what? To keep the unity of the Spirit, and here's the glue, through the bond of peace. What's the glue that holds a church together? Peace. Now, let me ask the question again. It's kind of rhetorical, but it's important it's because Paul writes this way. He, he writes with these implicit questions kind of asking there, and sometimes he'll write them down. Shall we continue to sin then? By no means. You know, he'll, he'll do that sometimes. So I'll do the same thing here. Does the bond of peace, just, just because there's peace present in the church, does that mean that there is the total absence of conflict? No. But it means that when there is, that we don't ignore it, and that we do what? Bear with one another in love. We're patient, we're gentle, and there's humility presence. And when that stuff goes out the window, we get in trouble fast. And so I'm encouraging us all. The foundation of this, number one, is why we spent so much time here. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And use verses two and three 
to help you flesh that out. Now let's move on to our second encouragement this morning. We're called to live in unity. We said that already, but here we go. Motivated by theological oneness. Let me let you write that down. We're called to live in a unity motivated by theological oneness. Now, again, same principle. Does this mean that all of us have the same theological position on every single theological distinction? No. But man, we got to agree on the tier one issues. And what we're about to read in Ephesians are tier one issues. When I say tier one, I mean like of utmost importance. And here's what we've heard in the church, unfortunately. We've, we've kind of, and when I say we, I mean as the global church, as especially, well, I can't really say the global churches. I'm not hanging out in other countries listening to what they're saying. But I can speak pretty, pretty uh, confidently on what I've heard, at least uh, just being around a lot of American churches and just being pretty networked and connected to other churches and just watching and listening and things like that. We have, unfortunately, come away with the idea that theology really doesn't matter that much. It really matters what you do. And so as long as you're doing this and that, as long as you're doing the right things, theology, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it's whatever. Friends, everything, let me be very clear here, everything that we do is motivated by our theology. Your doctrine and theology on who God is and what he does will determine your evangelism. It will determine your discipleship. It will determine your engagement in missions. It will determine all the things we just talked about, gentleness, patience, and all that. Theology matters. Bad theology hurts people. Bad theology is dangerous. Bad theology gives, unfortunately, this is the one I've seen the most, a false assurance of salvation. Just say these magic words and you'll be saved. And I want to make clear, when you've heard me lead a prayer like that at the end of this service, I am not giving you some kind of, or any of your friends that you invite to Anchor Church some kind of magic formula. That is not what I'm doing. What The reason why I use a tool like that, and, and it, it is a tool, is because a lot of people coming to Christ have never talked to God before, so they don't know what, like, so call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, brother. And they go like, okay, um, how do you do that? And I've had people ask me that. They're like, I'm ready to follow Jesus, but like, what do I do? Like, what do I say? And I'm like, well, let's, let's pray together. And it's so those words are giving them handles to hold on to as they give their life to Christ. So, so let's make that real clear. But there are some places, there are some churches, unfortunately, it's just like, hey, just say this formulaic thing and you're good to go. And then you just bank on you saying those words once upon a time and not the life that you live out of that. Because the life that you live out of a profession of faith should, 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 um, should demonstrate what's already happened in that moment. But we depend on our Savior, Jesus Christ, and not a moment. And, and so I want to be very clear about that. But let's, let's start to walk through this text. Verse four, there is how many bodies? One body. So this is the global, this is the big C church, if you hear us talk about that. There's one body. And this statement is called a creed, a creed. And we don't, we don't recite creeds necessarily here. We may one Sunday just, just for fun, but as, you know, as Baptists, we, we really don't, we're not necessarily a, a, a creedal denomination that doesn't mean that we don't believe in any of the creeds. It just means that, um, you know, there's a special time to have a passage like this where, okay, yeah, this is very creedal, but, but, but really at the end of the day, um, you know, simply reciting these things does not demonstrate an understanding. And so in, in verse 4, there's one body and how many spirit? Oh, I'm seeing a pattern. Here we go. One body, one spirit, 
So that means one church, ultimately. We're not going to be divided up. It's not, you know, in heaven, it's not going to be Anchor Church, West Acres, Journey, all the, you know, all the, like we're not going to be divided up. There's going to be one body. And when we see one spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, the capital S Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is a Trinitarian passage, so you're going to see the Father, Son, and Spirit here. So this is another one to put in your pocket. When someone says the Trinity is not in the Bible, take him, take him here too, all right? So one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, there, there's the one hope. And who's our hope? Who's our anchor? Jesus Christ. He's our one hope, the hope of the gospel. So just like you were called to this one hope, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith in Christ alone, one baptism into Christ. Baptism is not at Christ, with, it's, it's into Christ. You were baptized into Jesus. And what this means is that we identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We talked about that a lot last week. And so baptism is more than just going public for Jesus. It is that, but it is being baptized into him, being identified with him. We're wearing the Jesus t-shirt all the time. Our jerseys, 365, 24-7, we're always wearing that Jesus jersey. And we're always proclaiming his name. And when people ask about it, we're ready with an answer, just like Peter encourages us. All right, so what's next? Verse 6, one God. And Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Key word, all. <laughs> because he is in all. He is all. I mean, he is in all, th- all. All things ought to be subjected to him. All things ought to be given unto him. For he created, he gave all for us, so we give all to him. And so this is one of the earliest creeds that the church has. And we say, really, um, in this, the, these are the tier one issues. So if someone's preaching, there's two lords, or two faiths, or you know, two baptisms. There's actually a very prominent denomination that says that you need a second baptism to be saved. The baptism of that Holy Spirit baptism that causes you to speak in tongues, and that if you do not do that, that you are not saved. And I mean, this, this, uh, you know, there's millions of people worldwide that subscribe to that. And I would say that that would, that would not be consistent with this passage, that there is, there is one baptism. And so, one God, Father of all. Number three, here we go. Our third encouragement this morning as we keep moving. We are given gifts to serve and to edify the church. Man, this is good. So, so, so we have this foundation. I told you guys that Ephesians 1 through 3 is heavy on the theology. Ephesians 4 through 6 is heavy on the practical. But... This, this morning is still, still pretty theological. Paul, Paul does what he usually does. He starts in a certain direction, and he goes, but actually there's more theology that we need to, to, um, to unpack. And so what does he say in verse 7? This is what you call a hinge point verse. So in the Bible, we have these you know, kind of anchor texts. that um, So like everything that came before this and everything that comes after this, and this is kind of in the middle. All right, so really pay attention to verse 7 here. Let's put it up on the screen. Now grace. Everybody say Grace. Grace was given to each one of us, amen, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's what happens. When we're saved, yeah, we're saved by grace, through faith, grace defined as unmerited favor. Grace is a gift. The Greek word is charis. Some people are named charis. You might have met someone named charis, and that's, that's, that, that's Greek for gift. And here's, here's the, the main point of this section. Christ came giving gifts. He's a gift giver. How many of you guys like to give gifts? Anybody? Are you a gift giver? How many of y'all, your love language is to receive gifts? Anybody? 
Anybody out there? Really? Really? Okay. All right. All right. Good stuff. But you still don't mind a gift, right? You still don't mind one, but it may, may not be an expectation. I can, I can identify with that. Well, Christ came to, to, to give gifts, and when we're saved in him, when his spirit comes inside of us, there are other passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and like Romans 12 and a, a couple of others. We see more specifically what these gifts are, but here's what happens. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts upon salvation. You cannot receive these gifts unless you are saved by the blood of Jesus, unless you are a Christian. And when those gifts come, they are given by the Holy Spirit's will. So he chooses which ones to give to me and which ones to give to you and which ones to give to you. And we're, we're, we're going to get a little more detailed in that in a second. But what I wanted you to, to, to really hone in on here and us to see together is that it's by the measure of Christ. And so whatever gifts that he's given to you, he made no mistake. And sometimes we get frustrated. Here's the big encouragement, ready? We get frustrated that we don't have another gift. Well, I don't, I don't receive that. Well, I didn't receive this one. But here's the deal, friends. God made no mistake when he gifted you. And he needs you to function in your part of the body for, for the body to be healthy. Now, you may be sitting here wondering today, well, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what my gifts are. That's okay. At least you're trying to figure it out. And we, we want to help you with that. If you're confused about that, there's this thing called a shape assessment that we can have you take. It's, it's a spiritual gifts test, but it also measures your habits, your abilities, some of the skills you have in life, which those are different than your spiritual gifts. Sometimes we think that a skill we have, you know, like woodworking, like, well, my spiritual gift is, is being good with my hands. It's like, okay, well, that's not really a spiritual gift. That's, that's something you learned here on earth. But it still can be used alongside your spiritual gift, which might be hospitality or something like that, for the glory of God. And so we need to learn what those spiritual gifts are and then learn what our, how, how our habits, our abilities, our personalities, and our experiences kind of come alongside that spiritual gift and how you can be used in the body of Christ. So let's walk through that together. If you have questions about that, man, let's, let's do lunch or coffee and let's, let's, let's talk more about that. And we can equip you and help you with that. All right, so what's verse 8 say? Here we go. Paul's going to kick it Old Testament for a second. He's going to throw back to Psalm 68. And he's just going to quote a section of it. So here's what he says. When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to people. I wish I had time to go back to Psalm 68 and kind of show you how this, like, like really intricately how this, um, how this fits into this passage. But we're, we're really short on time this morning. But here's what I will tell you. Christ is a gift giver. He throws back to Psalm 68 to show you, hey, even in the Old Testament, everything that happened with Yahweh and his covenant people, he's, he's, still, he's still a gift giver back then. Whenever Paul pulls from the Old Testament, he's trying to show you, hey, like God, God hasn't all of a sudden changed. Some people think we got two gods, an Old Testament God who's mean and just kind of like grumpy and just maybe needs to take a nap or something. I don't know. You know he's just kind of in a bad mood, wrath and judgment and all that. And then in the New Testament, we have this like warm, cuddly God. You know, we, we have Jesus and he's preaching about grace and all this kind of stuff. So we have like, me, like you know, good cop, bad cop God going on. And that's not true. Again, bad theology hurts people. Please don't embrace that theology. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the book of Hebrews says. And so he's never changed. He gave, he gave gifts to people. But verse 9 here, take a look at it. But what do, and here's one of those questions I told you about. Paul, Paul will reason this way. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Oh, man. And all the Christians squabble about what this means and where was the lower parts of the earth and did, did you know did Jesus go to hell after he died and you know like the old um, uh, Catholic creed says the you know, Apostle Creed he descended to hell and then and, and then he was seated at the right hand of the Father we're we're not going to go through all the different theories of that but let me let me just give you some stable ground as we read a verse like this 
Jesus Christ descended and Jesus Christ ascended. And what a lot of scholars think is that the descension is actually talking more about the incarnation, which is him leaving his throne and coming to earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, living the perfect life that no one could live, dying on the cross, being raised again, and then ascended back to the right hand of the Father. So the descension and ascension is speaking of his incarnation and then his ascension back to heaven. You follow me? Okay, so that's one particular theory. I really like that one a lot. But Peter also does talk about how after Jesus died, that he did descend and proclaim this victory, this gospel message to the captives. And so there's a lot of theologians that talk about Jesus went to Sheol, not hell, but Sheol was the place of the dead. It's the abode of the dead. It's where people are awaiting their judgment. It's where all the dead go. And it's where they go. I mean, the Old Testament is chock full of references to Sheol. So just know that this is a little intricate part. It's kind of hotly debated. But here's what I want. I just want to give us handles, all right? Jesus descended and he ascended. And he did so with gifts because that's the kind of God he is. He descended down, well, that means the incarnation or something else, but he definitely ascended back to the right hand of the Father. In verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended. Again, not, not two lords, not two gods, one. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to do what? Here we go. To fill all things. And what does Colossians 1 say? In him, through him, all things hold together. This is our Lord, our one Lord. And so what did, what did he do? Verse 11, he himself, and here's the next hinge point, ready? He himself gave some to be apostles. And so this section right here, we're going to talk about how, how Jesus came and Jesus ascended back, and he made it to where each person would receive the gifts that they were supposed to receive. And so for some, he made them apostles. Apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. There's some today that call themselves apostles. Uh, we, we do not believe doctrinally that apostleship is, is a go for today, that the, 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 that the apostles were uniquely gifted for the establishing of the early church. Okay? That is where we stand doctrinally as a church on that. We may have some back and forth about that. You may come from a background that disagrees. This, this is one of those disagreements that we can kind of toss back and forth on. We're not talking about how someone's saved. We're not talking about who God is ultimately, but we're talking about um, what classifies someone as an apostle. But what we see in Scripture is that the apostles, there were 12 of them, and then Paul also becomes an apostle. They were all eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and they were given certain special gifts that no one in this room was given. And it was for a specific time, a specific place, in a specific way. And God does that in Scripture, doesn't he? He gives specific gifts. He, he manifests certain specific things for this moment, for this purpose. And we have to ask ourselves when we read the Bible, this is just a good question, is this normative? Is this normal? When I'm reading this Scripture passage, is this a special occurrence for his glory and for a special purpose, or is this normative? Unfortunately, bad theology, here's, here's how you develop bad theology. I'm just going to give you the recipe, ready? All right? We make everything normative. So we see one, oh, it happened in the Bible, so that means it always happens that way. And we build this big doctrine out of it. And I want to caution us and just be really careful with that. Sometimes things happen specifically in the Bible for this specific case, for this specific purpose. And we shouldn't build a big doctrine about it. Usually when there's a doctrine surrounding it, friends, it's going to be what? Repeated over and over and over again. It's not going to be the special occurrence in Numbers 24 that just happened this one time. So we, so we just have to be really careful about that. 
So some apostles, some prophets. So what, a, what apostles are doing, they're, they're, they're your lead leaders. They're establishing the early church. But some were prophetic, some, some were prophets. And you may not think of yourself as a prophet, but here's what a prophetic gift looks like. It means that you are guiding people towards what the word of God says. And there's an element in which God has, has um, gifted us to share, you know, to share the gospel, to proclaim his word. And so there's a prophetic element in all of our ministry, really. Even if you have kids and, you, and you're discipling your children, right? There's a prophetic gift in that. You are making, here, here's what a prophet does. They make the word of God clear for others. Okay? And, um, and, I, and again, I'm not some super prophet up here and you're like a lower prophet. That's, that's not how we think of things around here. He gives us the clarity and the ability to be able to explain the word of God to people. And yes, it takes work on our part. It is the, it, it, like the Bible is not just any old book. It demands to be studied. And this is why we study our Bible so we can help the word of God be clear, not only for our own soul, but for others. And so I would encourage you to lean into that. Some evangelists, there's, there's, there's some that God has given a special measure of grace to go and be, as we might call it, gospelers, right? That's really what the word evangelist means, literally in the Greek. It's, it's someone who's a gospeler. They go and explain the gospel to people. There's a clarity in which they can do it. That's something we should all strive towards at least doing on a basic level is being able to verbalize the gospel. When you can verbalize something very simply, you, you know what it shows? That, that you truly understand it. There are a lot of smart people in this world that do not, um, that do not possess the gift of being able to simply explain things. They, they can give you the 10 to 15 minute version, but they can't tell you in 10 seconds what it means. And we should all strive towards that on some kind of level to be able to, no, no matter where we're at, to be, if someone's coming, seeking the peace of Jesus, that we could quickly explain the gospel to them. And if you're not there yet, we're not here to beat you up about it, but we want to help you grow into that. We want to help you be able to go and tell people about Jesus. And so some evangelists, but some pastors and teachers, this, this pastors and teachers, this isn't two different people, but this is, these are really teaching pastors. Pastors teaching the word of God from up front. And what's the purpose, friends? This is the, one, one of the key verses in all of Ephesians. Ready? Ephesians 4.12. Memorize it. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is, what is Brandon Henson obsessed with here at Anchor Church? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It is about all of us together having tools in our hands to go and do the ministry that God has for you. And to build up the body of Christ, that's the whole purpose. The church is going to be edified and built up and strengthened because the whole church is functioning in our way. And then what's the further purpose? Verse 13, let's go on to it. Until we all reach, what's that word? Unity. That's right. We started with unity. We're here again. It's almost like Paul's trying to remind us of something, right? Until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature, here we go, measured by Christ's fullness. What's the point of discipleship? It's maturity. And it's not like this, I've arrived kind of thing, but Paul's saying that since you're a Christ follower, and I know many of you are, that are here today, since you're a Christ follower, God has you going in a direction to become a mature Christ follower. And some of you are mature Christ followers. But as we grow into maturity, here's, here's what that looks like in verse 14. He continues to develop this. You see Paul's argumentation. The result of that, will then we will no longer be little children. God doesn't want you to stay a, 
a little child of faith, as it were, in your understanding, in, in your ministry. He doesn't want you to stay immature forever. We, we all start in a starting place. If you're there right now, praise God. But he has you going in a certain direction. Discipleship is directional. And if you're heading in that direction, you will eventually no longer be a little child tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. So here's what maturity in Christ looks like. You come face to face with a doctrine that's bogus and bunk, and you go like, that ain't what Jesus said. Mm -mm. Well, that's not right, you know, because you know what the word of God says. And this is why, oh my goodness, this is why studying God's word is so important and so valuable. It's not so we can win Bible trivia at game night. It's so that when we come to false teaching, when we come, when, when the wind and waves blow, when the enemy shoots his arrows at you, that you can be strong. The Bible in Ephesians 6, we're going to get to in a little bit, calls the word of God like the sword of the spirit. It's our sword that we swing. And so when Satan brings his A game, guess what we have? A weapon. We got a weapon to fight back. And man, what would the church look like if we were all swinging our swords? Oh boy, we'd be dangerous for the kingdom of God. Dangerous in the, in the right way. So, maturity in Christ, not, not blown around by every wind of teaching, just tossed here and there, by human cunning or cleverness in the techniques of deceit, because there are some people in this world that just want to fool you. They just want to fool you, and you know why they want to fool you? One usual reason for that is to make themselves look good. Is, is, is to make themselves look good, to prop themselves up. Because Satan's, Satan's key game is pride. It's his number one strategy because he knows it hits at a certain part of our hearts. And so what is God doing? He doesn't want us to be little children any longer. He wants us to grow in maturity. And this happens through discovering the grace that God has given you. God has apportioned grace to every single one of you who are in Christ. He has given you a measure of grace to go and serve the church, to build up. So let's get to work together. Let's build the church up, friends. Let's grab the tools that God's given, and let's jump in. One of the best ways you can do that around here, if you want to get involved in ministry at Anchor Church, it's so easy. We have these things called serve cards, and you just fill out a serve card and say, hey, these are the areas that I think I'm interested in jumping in. I had a conversation with somebody this week that was like, hey, I, I want to jump into ministry. I want to jump into ministry at Anchor Church, and we're so excited. I was telling our team beforehand, we have a high level of engagement, especially for a young church plant. Young church plants usually struggle to find volunteers and things like that. And that just hasn't been our story here at Anchor Church. That's not bragging on anybody except for God. God, God has called people to this mission. And, and some of you, many of you sitting out there are such a key part of that. And I thank you so much for that. Let's, let's cover these last couple of verses before we wrap things up. But speaking the truth in love. Oh, man, you want to talk about a recipe for a healthy church? We got to speak the truth in love, friends. Passive aggressiveness will kill a church. There's no room for passive aggressiveness in, in the kingdom of God. Mm -mm. We got to speak the truth in love. We got to make sure that when we're speaking it, like there really is love in there. And we're motivated by love. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him. We heard this before, didn't we? Let us let our roots sink down deep into Christ. And Paul reminds us, he's the head of the church. The pastor's not the head of this church. Jesus, Jesus rules this church. Jesus rules the church down the road. I, I, I pray, okay? In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the head. The head's already been established. 
And that's how there's hope for the church, friends. We, we look around at the kingdom of God, we go, Lord, we're in trouble. Oh, my goodness, like church closing and COVID, you know, COVID um, was cruel to churches in this area. I was talking with Dr. B, the head of our Baptist Association. And I mean, he's just, I mean, he knows of, you know, six to eight more, more churches right, right now that are, that are facing uh, their doors closing. And so it's been really hard, but there is still hope for the church because Jesus is the head. And Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And that's the hope that we have, that Jesus knows what he's doing. That even in the closing of some churches, that there's an opening of others around the corner and, and that there still can, something beautiful can come from what's broken. That's what redemption is. It's when things are messed up, jacked up, and God does something beautiful with it. He's been doing it a long time. A long, long time. Since the very beginning. Even, even when Adam and Eve screwed it up, what do you do right after that? He killed an animal. He clothed their nakedness and shame. And he, for the first time, we, we have the proto-evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel. And immediately the gospel's present. Jesus is the hope that we need. Verse 16, last one. From him, that's Christ, the whole body, the whole body, fit and knit together by every supporting ligament. So if you're a supporting ligament, praise God, because you are vastly important. Anybody ever has a supporting ligament go out in your body? You find out real quick how, 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 how important that, that ACL is, right, or that MCL or PCL or whatever, uh, that joint in your foot that's been giving you trouble or just whatever. Every supporting ligament, the churches need supporting ligaments. So again, every part of the body is vital. But Everything promotes, it promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love. So love is the building of the church through the bonds of peace, right? So peace and love go, go together there. Building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. We've said that many times today, and we'll end on that again. Each part working as it should makes for a healthy body. And you and I are just as much a part of that. And so what's your part of the body? I'm just going to ask you today. What's your part? Maybe you haven't thought much about it. That's okay. Start, start today. Head down that road and let us help you. Because, again, God, God has called me as, a, as, as one of these pastor teachers that we just read about in, in the verses to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then, you know what I'm also doing? I'm also looking for some other equippers as well. Because there's some of you sitting out there right now who are also equippers. Like God's given you a passion for equipping people as well. And I, and I praise God for that because this church will not soar and plant other churches and, and fulfill the vision that God has for this church with me alone equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I am very limited in what I can do. But all of us doing our part together, oh my goodness, watch out. Watch out. This community can be changed through many churches. And this is my prayer. I hope this is your prayer too, that many churches in this community would just embrace this mindset where each part of the body does their part. And so let's pray together. Let's pray for that unity. Let's pray for the diversity. Join me as we pray. Jesus, we love you so much. I'm so thankful for every person here today, all the gifts that you've given, every bit of grace that you have apportioned out. God, the giftedness in this room, we, we can't even wrap our heads around it. And there's some even untapped and unrealized um, giftings today, Lord, because because some, some in this room are still on that journey of figuring that out, and they're not yet plugged in to really serving in the body of Christ. And this is not just, Lord, break us from the mindset that this is just about volunteering, that it's just about volunteering your time and community service and just kind of that cheap volunteer mindset, or just fulfilling a role that's needed. 
Lord, we are a family centered around your word, and we're a body. We are the body of Christ, and we need every part of the body working together. And Lord, there's still some parts of the body that we don't have functioning, Lord. But you know about those, and I just pray that you would bring those about, even through the people here, Lord, that can be a part of seeing that body complete. But Lord, we're confident in this, and we pray this today, that Anchor Church, June 19th, 2022, has everything that she needs. That this that this local expression of faith and this community of faith has everything that we need for today. But where you're taking us tomorrow, Lord, we pray that you would lead more and more people to join in the mission, to serve you, and to love you with their time, their talent, and their treasure. And so God, we lift that up to you. I pray that today would just be encouragement, just be a shot in the arm for everybody here, and that you would challenge us, Lord, to keep you central in our vision. And as we keep our eyes fixed on you, that we would walk out this life that you've called us to give in a manner that's worthy, worthy of you, worthy of your holiness. Help us, Lord. We, we need your strength to do that. We can't do it on our own. So help all of this happen in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at Anchor Church CSRA.